Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today on this third Sunday in Lent. And today in our gospel lesson, we will see especially how Jesus cleanses the temple. Um, the reading is from John chapter 2, which actually happens at the beginning of his ministry. But Jesus repeats the whole thing about three years later during Holy Week. And we'll look especially at the spiritual applications of why and what happens there. The service is outlined for you in your service folder. We'll begin with our opening hymn number 401, and then we'll continue in the front part of your red hymnal on page 15. God bless your worship. Continue on page 15 in the front part of your red hymnal. Please rise. And we begin today, as always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful, and that I have disobeyed You in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil, 
and fail to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. has given his only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We continue on the next page. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, look with favor on your humble servants, and stretch out the right hand of your power to defend us against all our enemies. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. Our first reading comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 20. We see that the law given by the Lord our God demands perfect obedience. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt where you were slaves. You shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make any carved image for yourself or a likeness of anything in heaven above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or be subservient to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I follow up on the guilt of the fathers with their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, if they also hate me. But I show mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not permit anyone who misuses his name to escape unpunished. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath day by setting apart as holy. Six days you are to serve and do all your regular work, but on the seventh day it shall be a Sabbath rest to the Lord your God. Do not do any regular work, neither you, nor your sons or daughters, nor your male or female servants, nor your cattle, nor the alien who is residing inside your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. In this way the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may spend many days on the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of our Lord. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 69, as printed for you there.
Our second reading comes from the opening verses of Romans chapter 8. The flesh has no strength to free itself from the condemnations of God's law, but through Christ, God proclaims freedom. Paul writes, So then, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Indeed, what the law was unable to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did when he sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. God condemned sin in his flesh, so that the righteous decree of the law would be fully satisfied in us, who are not walking according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. To be sure, those who are in harmony with the sinful flesh think about things the way the sinful flesh does, and those in harmony with the Spirit think about things the way the Spirit does. Now, the way the sinful flesh thinks results in death, but the way the Spirit thinks results in life and peace. For the mindset of the sinful flesh is hostile to God, since it does not submit to God's law, and in fact, it cannot. Those who are in the sinful flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the sinful flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed God's Spirit lives in you. And if someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that person does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. This is the word of our Lord. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the reading of our Gospel. Our Gospel reading from John chapter 2. Jesus is serious about his word, his dwelling place, and what goes on there. The Jewish Passover feast was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers sitting at tables. He made a whip of cords and drove everyone out of the temple courts, along with the sheep and oxen. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those selling doves, he said, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume So the Jews responded, What sign are you going to show us to prove you can do these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. The Jews said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. Then they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 456.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of John. It probably seemed like a good idea at the time, and you can totally see how it would have come about. Well, you know, the Levites got together, the Sanhedrin weighed in with a proposal. You've got all these people coming to Jerusalem. Can't we streamline the process a little bit? Can't we streamline the process a little bit? Because they're all coming from far away, and surely there's something that we can do to make life a little bit simpler for these these pilgrims who have traveled from such a far place to come all the way here for Passover. Passover, the highest of the feasts one of the three times of the year when every male believer was supposed to show up at the temple to present himself before the Lord. And it probably seemed like a good idea at the time. They, they may have taken a poll there in Jerusalem. Would it bother you if we just had a, a little corner tucked away and it wouldn't really interfere with your Jewish life worship? It wouldn't really interfere in the court of the women, the court of the men, the, area where the, the areas where the Jewish people come just the areas where the Gentiles come, and it's just a little corner. Maybe they, you know, developed a policy. As long as it's only only one table, and, um, well, as long as the exchange rate is, is fair. As long as it's just, like, one or two cages of doves at a time, because there's probably a pragmatic and purposeful reason for this, a good reason to make life a little bit simpler for the poor people who have spent so much to come here for Passover. Maybe after a few years, they had a precedent. We only did it at Passover, but, um, well, people are coming here all the time. And we did it before, so we should probably, maybe we could do it now. We'll just keep that table there all year round. You can kind of see and you could definitely sympathize. And, and I could see where even some of the Levites and some of the Jewish people in, in good faith, in good faith saying, yes, this would be better, and this would be simpler, and this would be easy, and it might even be beneficial on our fellow believers. But after a while, that wasn't the case. The poll, the policy, the precedent expanded. One table became two, two became four, doves became also pigeons, and pigeons and doves became sheep and rams, because we need those two. And then, well, what if somebody wanted to offer a fellowship offering, and think of, think of how it could keep our temple well kept, because, you know, not as many people are coming for Passover as they used to be, and they're not bringing the, the tithes that they ought to bring, but we could sell it at uh, slightly above market cost, but it's just the cost of convenience, right? Help keep the doors open, help keep the place cleaned up, and, and we'll just reinvest the extra cost in containing the animals just so that, that quadrant, right? You could see a well-intentioned believer thinking that way. And you could see the sons of Annas the high priest, the five or six sons of Annas the high priest, who had all the political and religious clout in the whole country, saying, hey, we could help with the money changing. Just just leave it up to us. We don't even have to invite the, the tax collectors in because we don't want those people in our temple. We'll just take care of it ourselves. The sons of Annas They've got a good name. They kind of take turns being high priests because, well, it was kind of like the time of the judges where each family did as they saw fit. But at some point along the way, things tipped. Why? At some point along the way, the one table for money changing and the, the, the cage or two of birds at the feet became a stockyard. The stench, the smell, walking through with your sandals, trying to, trying to sing the psalms of ascents after walking up the 300 stairs from street level up to the Temple Mount. Basically, if you see pictures of the temple area today, that whole wide, flat area, 
where the Dome of the Rock sits, that whole wide, flat area had a huge colonnade all around it. Basically, you know, a, a covered walkway all the way around it. And that was the court of the Gentiles. Where these people coming from every portion of, of the empire, these people who had converted to Christianity, the men who had, who had gotten circumcised and said, yes, I believe the Messiah is coming, yes, I believe these Jewish people have got it right, and I need to go to Passover because three times a year I need to do what my God says. Three times a year I need to go so that I hear and I see, I hear the prophecies repeated and I see the sacrifices because their worship. Gotta keep this in mind. Their worship was not just empty sacrificing of animals as though the animals themselves could atone for sin. No. Their entire worship pointed ahead to the perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. They knew. They knew that that lamb, that ram, those pigeons, those doves would not take away sin. But they knew that God was using that as a picture for the one who would take away sin. And for that Gentile believer walking up the stairs and maybe getting there for the very first time, and they get to their worship area, as close as God has allowed them to get, they cannot go past this three-foot-tall wall under penalty of death right then and there. And they walk up to the temple. Oh, what's that smell? What did I just step in? And where am I supposed to worship? You can definitely sympathize. You can see it. What started as a good idea quickly grew and blossomed, if that's the right term. Grew and blossomed, perhaps with good motivations and justifications along the way, and perhaps with the sons of Annas making, making a mint, so to speak, off their money-changing business. But why? Why did it get that point. Because you could certainly provide justification for that one little table. Maybe. Well, the reason. Because they forgot the purpose. They forgot the purpose of the Passover. And they forgot the purpose of what God was proclaiming to them in the Passover. That the perfect Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. And they got that so far pushed out of their minds, or at least set aside for a moment at first, and then later on forgotten about, and so caught up in the details of how to make their own work happen. What's the easiest, what's the best, what's the most pragmatic, what's, what's fill in the blank. They forgot the purpose of the Jesus who is coming, the Messiah that they sang about, that we sang about. In Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. And so when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, he does what God should do at any flagrant and blatant breaking of his second commandment. When he says, well, we just read it this morning, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not permit anyone who misuses his name to escape unpunished. And when God talks there, he's not just talking about calling God's name and, and crying out because somebody cut you off or you accidentally slipped and sprained your ankle or whatever the case may be. He's not just talking about the words that accidentally tumble out of our mouths. The primary thing that he's talking about the primary thing that he's talking about is providing a, a clear picture of who our God is. And when Jesus shows up, he's expecting to see this temple worship, and he's expecting to, to smell the incense, and to see these fellow believers there in the court of the Gentiles all singing the same thing in the same language as the Jewish believers who go one or even two steps further gathering around to see the image of God's grace portrayed, the sins of Israel confessed over the, over the head of this lamb. The head of this lamb detached from its body, and the lamb burned up. 
and the believers going home that day saying, thank you, Lord, for washing away my sin and for promising one who would do so. And so when Jesus shows up and he sees this flagrant, blatant abuse of the second commandment and the third commandment, he does the thing that is only proper for God to do. He steps in, (laughs) starts flipping tables, driving out cattle. They're trampling their way down the stairs and tumbling down the stairs. You can just picture it. The believer is looking around. What's going on? Zeal for your house will consume me, Jesus, as John records for us. Zeal for your house will consume me, meaning Jesus cares. And Jesus promises to set his house in order. He did that at the time of the time of the cleansing of the temple, the first time and the second time, because they didn't get the picture. They lost sight of the purpose. And the purpose of their worship to give glory to the God who promised to forgive them. Now, if Jesus were walking around with a whip today, what would he do and where would he start? Those who, those who break very flagrantly and blatantly the second commandment, perhaps those you, you can find on TV promising all sort of blessing or forgiveness or promising heaven and earth itself, if you just, if you just send in your donation. Or if you send in your donation, you'll get a little handkerchief that this heretic on TV prayed over, as though that would have any spiritual benefit. Yeah, Jesus would take a whip there. But where else? Well, maybe the, the next level down. Those who carry the name of Christ, and I mean, even the unbeliever can see that Joel Osteen is a fraud. But what about... What about churches that claim to be Christian, but deny the God of the Bible? Cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, the Oneness Pentecostals, who say that God isn't really three, he just pretends to be three at different points in history. Denial of the Trinity, dating back to the 300s. People that have been convicted as false teachers for over 1,800 years. And yet, and yet here they are, leading people astray, promising them the world if you just, and leading poor people who simply want to know the true God to a false hope, what looks like the most beautiful rosy apple of people gathering together in a church that looks like a church building, but when they bite of that apple, turns to ash in their hands and their mouth. That's where Jesus might start, but would that be far enough? Perhaps he would continue. And he would would highlight what Paul highlights in the book of Galatians, that if anybody would want to derive their life and their, their salvation from the law, then go the whole way and obey God's law perfectly, entirely, for the entirety of your life. If you think that you can and you must do work for God, then by all means, God lays it out there for you in Exodus chapter 20. Would he stop there? Would he come knocking on the door of the Wisconsin Synod? And the doors of our own churches? And say, dear Christians, you've got the truth. Do you have the love? Dear Christians, you've got the truth. You know that Jesus is coming. You know that there is one way to heaven, and he's not going to set up a thousand-year reign. He's just going to show up, and that'll be bam, judgment day, end of time right there. Would he walk in with a whip and say, what's keeping you from speaking up? Would he say, dear Christians... Has the poll, the policy, the precedent crept in and taken over its one little corner into a quadrant or into the the church to the point where you forget about the purpose? And yes, the poll, the policy, the precedent can be explained in very pragmatic and faithful ways. And a faithful Christian might hear that and say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's what we want to do. But is there a chance? 
ever so slight a chance that that might distract us from our purpose. And that the poll policy precedent might simply be the crutch and the excuse for the suffering and the work of God's church. But would he stop there? When we walk up here, say, dear Christian, why? You know what God's law says. You know the struggle that God has committed you to in baptism. And you know the truth. Why do you jump so quickly at temptations that you say you can't resist? But let's be serious. Where would he stop with his cleansing? And where would it lead him? He tells us. He tells us. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Jesus promises to keep setting his house in order. Jesus promises to keep setting his house in order, and yes, he did that at the time of the temple, and yes, his zeal for his spiritual house is no less than the zeal he had for the temple that day. His zeal for the temple that day was not zeal for some, some empty tradition and empty sacrifice. It was a zeal for the people who were gathered there, and a zeal, that same zeal, for the people who are gathered here. And where did that zeal lead him? To the cross. To each of us, individually, with the scalpel of God's law, to say, dear Christian, here, that's what I came for. Let me take your sin. I take it from you. And let me die for it. To wash you, to make you clean. Literally. To die on the cross, to wash away the sin as the perfect Lamb of God that all those sacrifices pointed ahead to, and to be now His holy people that Paul described for us in Romans chapter 8. People who are not governed by the wills and the wiles of the sinful flesh, but people who are governed by the Spirit. And His promise, His promise is that He has, He has set you free. Because, I mean, after driving on all, all those animals, I'm sure they could have used a pressure washer to, to wash out all the leftovers from those animals. And Jesus has certainly done a far greater thing in your heart, in your life. Not a pressure washer, but the waters of baptism. Just dripping off your head and not, not shouts of, get these things out of here. But reassurances of, dear Christian, I have gotten these things out of here. I have cleansed your heart, and I will do it again. And dear Christian, in case you are wondering, in case there is any doubt in the matter, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on the one who's... the temple of his body was destroyed, and who promised that he who cleansed that temple would raise his own temple on the third day, and he did. And so, as, uh, as Gabe mentioned yesterday when we were chatting about something, I think that was yesterday, yeah, yesterday morning, Christianity isn't an if-then, it's a done-done. It's not an if you do this, then God will do that. That's the old life of the sinful flesh and the law. Christianity is a done and done. Where on God's side, God died for you. God was raised for you. And they can't rebury Jesus. He crushed death and broke the door forever. And it's done. Because, as Paul relates for us, the sinful flesh is and always will be absolute hostility toward God, yet God is the one who has done it by bringing you to faith. God is the one who has done it by cleansing your heart and making each of us acceptable people who can stand in God's presence today and forever. I mentioned earlier that um, 
This reading from John chapter 2 happens at the very beginning of Christ's ministry. And the day after Palm Sunday, we'll call it Palm Monday for lack of a better word, he goes up to the temple and he does it again. Why? Well, obviously because he wanted their purpose to be focused on the Messiah that was proclaimed there. But why us? Because our Savior knows how sin works. It weasels in the back door of, of pragmatic, whole policy precedent, good ideas. And Jesus comes in with a whip, with a word, with water, with his body and blood, to cleanse us again. You see, the Jesus who cleansed the temple is the Jesus who has promised to continue keeping his house in order. And what a marvelous, great blessing that actually is. Because the Jesus who promised to keep setting his house in order and to keep you standing under the the shower of his blood, to keep you in the palm of his hand, and to keep you washed clean from the sin that would drag us down to hell if it could. The Jesus who promised to keep you clean is the Jesus who promises to keep setting his house in order, to keep washing you, to keep giving you new life, and to keep encouraging you to say, Now, Christian, this is what he has come to do, to proclaim freedom for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim and present to God a people that are holy. That's you. A people that are clean. That's you too. A people that are fit not to simply enter some temple on earth as a replica and an image of the worship that goes on in heaven forever, but a people who are prepared to meet God on his terms, who can stand unashamed before the God who demands everything and say, Yes, I was born sinful. And Lord, you have forgiven my sin. You have made me clean. You have washed me. Thank you. Thank you for setting this house straight. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 31 in the front part of your red hymnal. And on page 31 we'll join in our confession of faith, the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father and the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
In our prayers today, we include a prayer for Denise Malcolm, who is homebound after her motorcycle crash this past summer. She's going to be having surgery this week to help correct her eyesight. Um, please rise. We'll continue with the responsive prayer on page 32. Page 32, we pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the countless blessings which we receive from your hand, the beauties of creation and the bounties of the earth, the joy of life and the pleasure of friendship, the good of work and the gift of rest, the privilege to share happiness and sorrow with one another. Above all, we praise and thank you for your saving word and for your Son's body and blood, which you give us to eat and to drink in this sacrament. Through these means of grace, you send the Holy Spirit into our hearts and unite us to Jesus and the, to the whole Christian church on earth. Great God and Lord, without your continuing help, we easily waver in our faith, lose courage, and grow careless in our watchfulness. The times and days are perilous. Give us strength to face the evils of each day with fresh confidence. Open our lips to speak of your grace and move us to use the gifts that you give us to share your word of salvation with all people. Protect and prosper the family, the school, the government, and all good institutions that you have established for the benefit of society. Remember in mercy those who are sick and suffering, and bring your healing to troubled homes and lives. And merciful Lord and Savior, you have promised to be with your believers everywhere and in all circumstances of life. May the assurance of your abiding presence and loving care comfort and sustain your servant Denise Malcolm as she faces and undergoes surgery. Remove all anxiety and fear from her heart and lead her to rest all her confidence in you. Bless the work of the surgeon and give success to the surgery as it pleases you. Be with Denise as she recovers and fill her with an abiding thankfulness for all your blessings. Now hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Now, eternal God and Father, keep us in the saving faith, and so enable us to overcome all things through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We continue with the sacrament. The Lord be with you. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He made His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and thanks and honor and glory forever and ever.
Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for the forgiveness of all of your sin. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for you.
Simeon on page 24. Please rise. Uh, a couple of things to highlight. 
Besides the extra page or two in your service folder, you can check that out on your own time. Um, next weekend, Pastor Kurt Seafelt from the Lutheran Home Association will be here. Um, I contacted them this past summer um, to see if they had anybody that could talk about advanced medical directives and empower attorney for health care. Um, that was one of the questions that kind of cropped up unexpectedly after Denise had her motorcycle crash. Um, and so he'll be here, he'll, he'll preach, and he'll also present on that topic during our Bible class hour. If you aren't able to make it, it will be on our podcast um, probably on Tuesday of the following week. And I encourage you to check that out. Um, and he'll probably have a resource or two that you can find online and a little bit of guidance in how to go about this. And in preparing for providing a Christian witness um, at a future time that may be uncertain from our perspective. Um, announcement number two, if you look on the calendar on page 8, 9.30 this Saturday, we'll hopefully start our Bible Basics. We can move that later in the day if that works better for people. Um, Kateri said that she would be willing to bake egg bake for all who show up, um, as long as the number is less than 50. Right? <laughs> um, daylight savings time is next weekend. I don't usually announce the fall back because that's pretty easy, but... Um, spring ahead, it is worth noting. And then the last announcement, it's been about six months and three weeks, so here goes. Um, Dear Resurrection Lutheran Church, greetings in the Lord. On February 28th, your congregational president informed me that I received the divine call to serve as pastor of your congregation. I intend to carefully consider where my God-given talents will serve the greatest needs in the kingdom of Christ. The Resurrection Lutheran Church of Maumee, Ohio, uh, south side of Toledo. Your thoughts and prayers are encouraged and most welcome in this regard. While, while I am familiar with the challenges and needs in the Fairmont region, I am also considering how I may help to meet the spiritual needs of your congregation and sharing the word of God with the community of Maumee. Of course, our greatest prayer is that the Lord of the Harvest will send more workers into his harvest field so that hearts may be encouraged with the word of God and more people brought into the kingdom of heaven. Feel free to contact me through your phone number. So, We'll give it a few weeks, and uh, I'll probably wait till after, after Easter and uh, Lent kind of move along. God bless you, Dave. Obviously, your comments and thoughts are welcome. You'll be getting an email right about in five minutes here. Jerusalem, the Thanks for listening to Green Pastures with Jesus, the audio home of Shepherd of the Lakes Lutheran Church of Fairmont, Minnesota. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our website, www.shepherdofthelakes.net. Pass that along to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archives section at our website for previous podcasts. You can find us 9.30 a.m. Sunday mornings at 323 East 1st Street in Fairmont, just up the hill from Richard's Towing. Any questions, contact me, Pastor Hagen, 507-236-9572. God bless your day. God bless beyond compare.